1986 through 1992 years. Tell me if I'm wrong or right. I think love is in our blood, so where we get the need to fight. I'm not sure, but I know that love is never against what's right. Because the measure of love outweighs the both of us. So let's kiss and make up once more. Life is filled with all sorts of treasures. I get a real kick out of the simplest pleasures. One thing I insist upon is that our love will always weather a storm. Because the measure of love outweighs the both of us. So let's kiss and make up for the sake of love. L-O-V-E. This is just a reminder of what we need more of in today's climate. Please, ladies and gentlemen, let's give love, show love, and share your love. Because somebody can always use more of it. Because love is never against what's right. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of You're Talented. Our brand new slogan going forward is, You've Got My Attention. I'm your host, Ingram E.S., And I'm so excited to get started with this week's episode because it's a new month and that comes with new stories that I have to share with you about my career pursuit in the music industry. And believe me, the plot thickens as this journey gets underway. After I was so overwhelmed from meeting my idol, which I spoke about in my last episode, believe it or not, But about four months later, I had a surprise of my life once again. The pleasure of meeting another amazing icon. And that was Stevie Wonder. Yes, Stevie Wonder himself. It just so happened that one day I was shopping in a music store in Los Angeles and I heard a sort of a buzz going throughout the store that day. Then before I knew it, I saw a group of people, you know, just walking around this man or some man. I didn't really know who it was at the time, but he was being escorted. And I looked up and it was Stevie Wonder. (laughs) They were taken to the back of the store where all of the high-end electronics and keyboards and all that were, were stored. Now, mind you, This was during the time his album called Hotter Than July was out, and he was in his prime. This was about sometime around the mid-80s or so, late-80s. He was also another one of my Motown idols. Man, I couldn't believe my eyes, where we all were in the same store together. It didn't appear to be any overbearing security men or anyone like that that was around him or anything 
like that. I think that's why I was so shocked and just amazed that this was actually happening. And I'm experiencing the whole thing. Because when he finally got into the studio electronic room where they, you know, had all this fancy equipment and stuff at, he sat down at, at one of the pianos and, of course, everybody gathered around him. And I noticed that there was sort of a, a stool or a stump or whatever, like, like was right next to him when he sat there on the stool. And, of course, I took the liberty of sitting right next to him. I sat right next to him, and sure enough... I struck up a conversation with Stevie Wonder. You know, uh, of course, he asked me what was my name. And uh, after I told him that, I said, Stevie, I just did an audition just yesterday. And I sung one of your songs. You know, I was so excited. I didn't, again, didn't know what to say. But he was like, really? You know, he was, you know, he appeared to be impressed. And he said, well, what song was it? And I, I told him it was Overjoy because I love that song, Overjoy. You know, if you ever heard the lyrics and the story um, in that song, you would know what I'm talking about. And so, yeah, I sat there. Oh, I don't know. We were in that room. At least I know I had a good 10 or 15 minutes with him, you know, just sitting there talking about music. He asked me what I wanted to do and become. And I said, well, I'm working on, you know, trying to write some songs now. And... um I said, but yeah, I don't know how my audition is going to turn out, but I sure did. I sung one of your songs. And, um, of course, he was so impressed, and a lot of other people started chiming in and wanting to talk to him, which is understandable. You know, can't blame him. But, um, yeah, that was an interesting encounter, to say the least. And, again, one I will never forget. It was brief, but it was so special and so um what's the word i want to use just a blessing a beautiful blessing and i thank you god <laughs> yeah well all right we're going to take a break at this time and we will be back on the other side so please stay with us Thank you so much for staying with us. And once again, you're listening to You're Talented? Now I'm going to fast forward into 1987 when I moved to New York City. I finally made it to the Big Apple. And all I could say was, wow, wow. I was so pumped up, scared, and exciting all at the same time. I'm now 31 years of age, and in the back of my mind, I couldn't help but to wonder, am I too old to be doing this at this time in my life? You know, you always have these ugly thoughts that rear its ugly head from time to time to keep you in doubt of yourself, right? Well, I had to put all those crazy thoughts out of my mind because I had to focus to keep myself together and so I had to keep saying this Sharon stay focused girl you are here this is real uh so now what you gonna do <laughs> okay now let me start by giving you 
a little bit of a backstory that introduced me to New York in the first place. When I was living in L.A., I had a friend that knew a friend in New York City at the time. She was a mutual friend of both of us. And my friend was telling me about this young lady that she knew who was moving to, not moving, I'm sorry, going over to Europe for about a month. And she wanted someone to sublease her apartment during that time. And so my friend um, basically connected us by phone and we, I agreed to do that. And so when I finally caught up with my friend in, in L.A., she gave me the keys to her friend's house. Yeah, so when my friend told me that her friend was going to Europe and was going to be away for a month, she asked if I could house sit her place, you know, once I came into town. And being that I had no other connections to New York, I jumped on it, right? I moved to this young lady's house, and once I got there, um, it was in Brooklyn. And so I stayed there for a month. It was quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, Naturally, her style was very different from mine, but that didn't matter because I was just simply house-sitting for a month. And then fortunately, right before that month was up, An old friend of mine from Los Angeles had moved to um, New York City as well about a year prior than before I came on board. And uh, we, you know, got back together once I was there and she realized I was there in Brooklyn. And so um, I was just so ecstatic just seeing somebody familiar that I knew in the Big Apple. So once my month was up, in the apartment that I was subleasing or house-sitting, if you will, for this actually stranger. I never met the woman. We, you know, I think I met her years later down the road, but for, shoot, the couple of years that I was in New York, I never even knew who this woman was. And one, one night, just by sheer accident, we did meet at a party that another mutual friend of ours gave and she showed up and I showed up and that's how we met but I took on this lady's apartment for like I said sight unseen didn't know her all the place and uh, it did work out okay for me though but once that month was up I had to leave right and so my other girlfriend who was from LA offered me to stay in her place uh, for three months I subleased her apartment, and that was in Manhattan. Now, living in Manhattan, and again, I'm still relatively new. I had just gotten a new job, and um, I was working for A.C. Nielsen, and I was living in Manhattan. Man, I felt like I was on top of the world, you know, because I was just right there in the heart of all this culture, all this activity, Uh, two blocks from Central Park. I mean, I was like in the thick of it all, and I loved it. Here I am, 31 years old. I felt like I was in my prime, and I was just ready to go, right? Well, I was only there for three months, and then after that, um, I was just ready to get my own place. And I think my my girlfriend, who was subleasing it to me, was telling me that she was gonna, just going to go head on and let the apartment go. So I had to leave anyway. And so that took me back to Brooklyn, 
So now I've been in New York now approximately four good months, right? And then I started shopping around for my own place. And I found another apartment back in Brooklyn. And it was a basement apartment. I was renting out this uh, basement apartment from this brownstone house. It was Italian, uh, an Italian family that um, basically rented me their basement apartment. And that was new to me, too. I had never experienced anything like that. But, you know, I made it work. I made it work because I stayed there for over four years. And I could tell you, <laughs> as much as I've moved around, that was a record for me. In one place for four years? What? I'm sure my mother and my family was even shocked. But uh, again, I made it work and it worked out really well. And also my landlords was like, you know, surrogate parents to me. I really bonded with them. They really bonded with me. So it all worked out. As a matter of fact, that was when in the first six months that I was there, I believe, I started writing songs. And, when, and that's when I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Right. Um, In that studio apartment, I tell you, I was in the position to let my all of my inhibitions just be released and my creative juices just flowed because I had the space, the solitude. You know, I was in my sanctuary. Right. And I just started to do a lot of things and I discovered a lot. I, you know, I every day I went back and forth to the city because I worked in the city, right? And so I horned my craft and I really started to focus on that. I even got into a band. I took private, you know, piano lessons again. And I was auditioning from time to time all throughout the city. Now, during this time in in the studio apartment, I really had my hustle on. You know, I was always, you know, trying to find different avenues and ways to, you know, at this point, really pressing on trying to get into the business. I would go to what they used to call a lot of times um, just showcases where uh, people would be, you know, talent scouts would be in the audience listening to new acts and trying to hear what's out there. And I would go to different seminars or music conferences or workshops or what they call them. And I would solicit my music there. You know, I even joined the Songwriters Guild, which they had back at the time in, um, in New York. And I was a member of ASCAP as well as BMI, but eventually I I was an associate member of ASCAP. I became a full member of BMI and still is to this day. And so at one point I got involved with a, a lady friend of mine and we got really serious and she wanted me to move into her place, right? And so I um, I did. I moved in with her and I gave up my apartment after having it for four years and three months. Now, I knew that in New York, typically speaking, people who find apartments, whether it's an apartment or a house or whatever you're renting or buying, people, once they get them, they stay in there for a lifetime. Okay, 
I mean, most of my friends and even some of my friends' parents and family members and stuff, they would be in these places for like 8, 15, 22, 35 years. It's like, oh, my God. Because even my girlfriend who I moved in with at that time, she had been in her apartment for 12 years. I couldn't fathom it. I just couldn't fathom that thought because that has never happened to me or anything, you know, but I respect it, you know, and so I was real hesitant to give up my place. And so anyhow, you know, I stepped out on faith and um, decided to make that move. Now, I had no idea how long I would be in New York, but I realized at that point I had went from Brooklyn to Manhattan, back to Brooklyn, and now I'm headed to the Bronx because that's where my friend lived. And it was an experience that, unfortunately, it didn't work out like we both thought. You know, it's funny how the rules and regulations and the game change when you're in somebody else's space, right? I would imagine most of you probably have experienced that from time to time or with someone in your life. But in any event, yeah, once I gave up my place and I moved in with my girlfriend, the dynamics changed. And I thought to myself, literally two weeks in, oh my God, what did I do? Because now my place is gone, right? You know, it's not like after two weeks I can go back and say, hey, uh... Landlord, can I have my place back? Uh, no, don't work like that. So anyhow, I had to make that work. And um, just like any relationship, we had our highs and lows. But when it was low, baby, it was low. And I was really ready to go. But I had nowhere to go to. So in essence, I was stuck. Of course, that was something that I never shared with her you know, that I wanted out. I just didn't feel comfortable anymore, and we we bickered and fought fought too much, and um, it just got to the point where I knew I had to make some changes. But in the interim of all of that, because I stayed with her for, what, about five months, I believe, she um, gave me an opportunity of a lifetime, which is one I would never forget. She was a hairdresser, who worked in a professional salon, of course, and her boss was a young lady that that did celebrities' hair. I mean, giants in the industry, okay? Um, Whitney Houston, Cicely Houston, um, Howard Rollins, Miles Davis, Roberta Flack, just to name a few, right? say, girl, you know who was at my shop today and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, really? Come on now. Here I am struggling out here, trying to get my music out here and heard. And all these people, you know, your boss do their hair at the shop. You see them? And she was like, yeah, girl. So-and-so came in and I got me a $1,000 tip or so-and-so gave me $800 or what. And I mean, this girl was making bank hand over fist. You know, the tips was almost as big as the hair job itself. You know, so she was living large, to say the least, her and her boss. But in any event, 
I got an opportunity. I guess she felt a little sorry for me because she was really trying to help me out as well. And um, she told me one day, she said, Sharon, I'm going to try to help you out and hook you up with Roberta Flack. Well, all right, this time we're going to take a quick break and we will be back on the other side to continue this interesting story. So please stay tuned. I'm going to share with you how reality crashes. Just let me talk to Roberta Flack. And after I talk to her, I'm going to have her call here at the house and you could talk to her directly. And of course, just with us having this conversation, you know, my heart was racing. And ain't nothing else that happened at this point. Because it was like, this is real. This is happening. You know? And so my, my, my girlfriend was telling me, try to keep your composure. You know, she's cool people down to earth. And I'll have her call you tomorrow. Or whatever that day was, you know? And I was like, all right. I'm down. I'm in. Let's do this. You know, (laughs) oh boy. As soon as the phone rang the next day and this lady called the house, it just seemed so surreal. Even today, and that was a million years ago, it just seemed so surreal. I really couldn't believe that I was talking to Roberta Flack on the telephone. You know, so once I answered it and said hello, of course, my voice, it cracked like I ain't never heard before. I was just that nervous. But she was really sweet and interested and, you know, asked me a few questions and I talked to her. And the next thing I knew, she was, we were scheduling an appointment to meet because she said, I'd like to meet you and certainly hear some of your music, you know. And at that time, of course, We had cassette tapes, okay? I know some of the younger folks in this day and age probably like, cassette what? What is that? (laughs) But uh, anywho, I, uh, I was just so excited, you know? And so I agreed to meet with her. And um, I don't know, it must have been just a couple of days later when she had some time and, you know, I was going to make the time. I was working around her schedule. Mine at that point did not matter. Okay, so that's what I did. Man, when I got off the phone, I almost fainted because the exhilaration was off the chain. And, of course, when my friend came home, I couldn't... I jumped up and down with her and shouted and celebrated and this and that because I was like, I got an interview with the legendary Roberta Flack. Did you hear me? Did you hear me? (laughs) Oh, my God. It was just unreal. So with that being said, let me tell you what that interview was all about. Okay, so the day had come. And I am headed to Roberta Flack's house to have an interview with the legend in the privacy of her home, right, in New York City, when she lived at the Dakota, where John Lennon used to live and where he got shot. 
So that's historic in itself. Okay, so now I'm inside Roberta Black's house. She welcomes me in gracefully. You know, in her living room, she had this beautiful white carpet. White, mind you. <laughs> and this beautiful grand piano that was sort of sitting in front of the window overlooking the streets, right? And it was just beautiful. A lot of you she had a lot of different artifacts that apparently she must have collected you know, over the years from different parts of the world. And it was amazing, but it wasn't nothing, you know, complicated. It wasn't crowded or nothing like that. You know, and then she said to me, let's sit on the floor. We sat on the floor and she offered me some tea. So we had a, a cup of tea with Roberta Flack on the floor in her apartment. And that's when I pulled out my cassette tapes and I showed her, you know, the, it was two, I believe. And I left them with her, and she played them, and she says, I really like, you know, your style of writing. I really, I think you really got talent, Sharon, and you really have some skill. And uh, she was really impressed with it. So I was like, you know, me and my modesty kept getting in the way. I was like, oh, thank you, thank you. Oh, I appreciate that, you know. And, of course, then she started to get into the sort of like the interviewing process. You know, what are your plans? What do you want to do? What's your objectives? How long you've been in New York? How long are you going to be in New York? And all of these different questions, right? And the conversation was just flowing. I, you know, didn't have any problem with anything she was asking me. But the only thing, I shouldn't say the only thing because it was a major thing. Some of the things that she asked me, I just simply lied on. I lied because... I was trying so hard to impress. I lied because I didn't want her to shun me or deny me because, you know, my relationship with my girlfriend. I lied because I was afraid, like I said, when I first came to New York, she would have viewed me as being, oh, you too old. That's what I mean. You know, not even a, a good lie. One year. I'm going to lie over one year. And so she asked me, um, what was my relationship with my, my friend, you know, her hairdresser. And <laughs> my hairdresser told her that I was her cousin, but I told her that she was my aunt, which clearly didn't quite gel, right? Oh, boy. And the lies kept coming and coming and coming. I was like, oh, my God, Sharon, you're, you're losing points here. Yeah, so she asked me who did I listen to with music, you know, at, at that point in time in my life, or who did I feel like I, you know, had the biggest influence on me or uh, that I just admired so much. And instead of me saying... Oh, you, Roberta, I've always loved your music and, you know, I, I, you know, have been following you and all. None of that. I said, you know, a couple of other artists, Olita Adams, right, who had just had a hit song out. Anita Baker, who I did love then and still love to this day. Um, and a couple of other artists, but I didn't say her. Right. And, but she took it in stride. You know, she didn't flip a trip on that. At least it didn't appear that way to me. Um, 
And so she asked me what was my future plans because she said, she, then she started dropping names on me, saying, well, I'd like for you to meet, you know, so-and-so in the industry or in this company because they, are, they work with so-and-so people. And uh, there are some other writers that are, you know, some really renowned writers out there who are writing for you know, these other big stars and, and singers right now. And I was like, oh, wow, really? Oh, I would love that. You know, and I was just so ecstatic. She says, yeah, I think I can get you in front of the right people. I, w- I want you to meet certain cer- certain people and um, to help you, you know, get your stuff out there. And I was just, you know, <sighs> overwhelmed. I was just overwhelmed, but delightfully overwhelmed, you know, with this information and her enthusiasm, you know, talking with me. And she really liked my music and she thought I had talent. And at one point I thought to myself, I would love it if she could talk to my mom or can I call my mom? And so I thought, no, Sharon, that's kind of, you know childish or whatever you're here with her make the most of it with her and so anyhow I asked she gave me one of her latest CDs and she said she signed it and she signed it to autograph for my mother and uh, it said you know Sharon I think Sharon is a talented young lady and I'm gonna do everything that I can to help her in her career signed Roberta Flack I still have that cassette tape her signature on it you know and uh, and so anyhow, yeah, so I told her, I says, well, my mom is getting ready to have surgery on her hip, and I th- I'm going to be going back to California probably in the next month or so, you know, because I want to be there for my mom. And she said, well, when are you coming back? And I says, well, I'm not sure, you know, but I do plan to come back. And she says, well, you know, well, we'll have to keep in touch because I need to know when you're going to be back here in town. And so we could do this, you know, this business. And so, um, yeah, when she asked me how old I was, I said, I'm 35, knowing I was 36. And she said, 35? Oh, you, (laughs) you almost 40, huh? And I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, but I'm not, you know, I'm not. And so, but again, she still came off very gracious and supportive. Um, I don't know if some things raised her eyebrows or in the back of her mind or what. Um, But the conversation really flowed. And I was actually in her company for two and a half hours. Okay. Now, this was a visit, visit. We sat on the floor, had our tea, a couple of cups of tea, listened to music. She even sat at her piano and played, you know, a couple of bars of some songs. And she said to me, she said, you know what, Sharon, I could tell what note you speak just by listening to your voice. I can I hear sounds on the street and and whatnot and cars and, and different, you know, vehicles. And I could tell you what key that they're in when I hear this, these sounds. That's just how sharp her hearing ability was. And again, I mean, I was just blown away, just so impressed with her. And so in the end, um, we left each other with the idea of certainly 
working together in the immediate future, near future, and um, trying to get my career, you know, with every, you know, honest intention, that was the goal. So when we left each other, it was like, okay, Sharon, give me a call, you know, uh, in, in a couple of days, because I need to make a couple of phone calls with some people, and um, we can start to get the ball rolling, so to speak, right? And so I said, oh, okay, Miss Flack, I enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking to you again. And, oh, yeah, I would definitely be in touch with you. Boy, when I left her apartment that day, I was walking on cloud nine. Honey, you couldn't tell me nothing. Because I just felt like I had made it. You know, I finally broke through, right? And on that note, we're going to take a break right now. And And when we come back on the other side, I'm going to share with you one of the songs that I gave her to listen to and I think one of the songs that kind of wand her over. When I wrote it, I thought about Michael Jackson and I was hoping that maybe someday, one day, that he would hear it and could possibly record it. You know, I'm just a young artist at this time with imagination off the charts, right? But yeah, that was my dream and my hope that um, this particular song was one that I always wanted Michael to sing. So I'll share it with you on the other side. Stay with us. All right, thank you so much for staying with us. Now the song that I sent to Roberta and the song that I wanted Michael Jackson to sing is called On This Day. And it goes like this. Yes, I pray to myself, to you, for mistakes I've made. It's been said in a world where children are raised there should be plenty of love to reach everyone no matter the background which you come from on this day on this day There'll be people of colors. There'll be laughter among us. There'll be angels to chaperone, to make sure nothing goes wrong on this day. Yeah, that was On This Day. And the other song I believe I gave to Roberta was called Treat Me With Care. It was more of a sort of an upbeat ballad, if you will, song. 
But so after that, you know, I went home and I, of course, again, I shared it with my girlfriend and and was just ecstatic. You know, I was just on a cloud nine from for days. And so I remember about a couple of days after our meeting, I wanted to send her a thank you letter or a card or something because I was so grateful that she took the time out to speak with me. She wanted to sit, have a sit-down conversation with me. Man, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I just really wanted to show my gratefulness and my appreciation. So I took it upon myself to buy her a thank you card. But before I bought this thank you card, I was in the middle of some artwork at the house in my apartment. And while I was doing this artwork, when I finished the artwork, I wanted to frame it, right? So I didn't have the materials that I needed to frame it. And I was trying to find an X-Acto knife. I wanted to go to the art store. Now I'm sharing this with you because it's very significant in how my relationship or that whole experience with Roberta Flack took a major turn, okay? And uh, this is where I say the plot thickens because the turn was not in my favor, to say the least. But anyhow, I wanted to get this frame, this picture frame that I was drawing. And it was a picture that I was giving for my girlfriend at the time, so I really wanted to do it right. And so I went to the art store a couple of days after my interview with Roberta Flagg. And once I got to this art store, I started browsing around and looking for different, you know, art pieces and tools that I needed to finish this work. And I happened to find a razor blade on the floor when I was walking around. But when I saw this razor blade and I picked it up, I thought, oh, this could be my, I could use this as an X-Acto knife instead of me buying one, right? So I thought, well, let me put it in my pocket. And so I went, continued to go around the store, and I came across these cards that uh, they had there, and I came across this beautiful thank you card. I mean, it was just, the looks of it was beautiful and the contents inside the card was beautiful. So I said, no, I'm going to get this card. I think this would be ideal. And so I got the card and I remember the, the uh, razor blade that I had picked up, right? And so I took the razor blade out of my pocket. I said, gosh, before I forget this, you know, I could put my hand in my pocket one day and or at some point in time, I forget that I have it in there and I can cut myself, you know. So I took the razor blade out and I put it in the envelope where um, I figured it would be safe, you know, and I'll take it out later. And so I went on and continued my shopping and, you know, left the store and went on back to the house and finished my my artwork, right? And so... I once I finished the artwork by the end of the day I was tired and I went on to bed and the next day I thought about okay let me mail out this card you know to Roberta Flagg and it was like a couple of days after our interview when I mailed it out and so I went on and signed it and put my little added little personal message in there and um, just beaming you know with 
with excitement and pride and, and at the same time a great deal of humility, you know, I have to say. And so I sent the letter out, put it in, you know, my girlfriend's drop box downstairs and just waiting to hear back from her, right? And so um, as the night grew on, I, uh, you know, went about my regular routine or whatever I was doing there, piddling around the house or whatever. But by time night fell, and here we are, you know, gone to bed, you know, and sleeping. And for some reason, in the back of my mind, because, you know, after meeting her, she stayed on my mind, right? But that particular night, I remember jumping up. It had to be about midnight, 12, 12.30 or something like that. And I jumped up out of the bed, literally screaming. Oh, my God. I screamed to the top of my lungs. Naturally, <laughs> this startled my girlfriend. She woke up. What the, what the hell? What's going on? What's going on? What are you doing? What's the matter with you? You know, so she just bugged out, you know, naturally. And I was in a panic state of mind. I had lost it. And so at this point, I tried to calm down, and she was trying to calm me down, and my adrenaline was through the roof because I knew what I had just did earlier in that day. I mailed the letter to Roberta Flack without taking the razor blade out of the envelope. Talk about absent-minded. Man... <laughs> Who does that, right? Who would do such a thing? Oh, my God. Needless to say, I jumped up, and I told her I put it in the mailbox downstairs, and I'm breaking my neck trying to get an envelope out of the blue boxes that they have on the corners, right? Uh, and, of course, that's impossible. So the very next day, I dashed off to the post office trying to, retrieved this card before it had went out. And that was on a Saturday, I believe. So after that, by the time I got to the post office, they said they couldn't find it, they couldn't trace it or whatever, and they believed it had already went out. I'm, I'm just a basket case now. I'm truly so angry at myself, frustrated, you know, my mind is racing. i about to gag. I could not maintain my composure because I realized what I had, had done. And, of course, my girlfriend couldn't help me at all. She was like, oh, my God, well, Sharon, you better call her. Just call her and tell her what happened, you know. Now, I believe this was like on a Saturday evening by now. And... I mulled this over for the weekend, and my girlfriend said, just call her. Just call her back and tell her what happened. And so I think the next day, which was Sunday, I called her and, and left a message on her machine. I didn't tell her what the problem was. I just left a message on her machine, right? And so, again, the whole weekend, I was just beside myself. And so the very next day, no, that Monday 
the uh, hair salon is usually closed on Monday. On Sundays and Mondays, they're closed. And so that Tuesday, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was just mortified. I saw what the potential that I had in the palm of my hands was like sand, just, you know, falling through my fingers. So finally, that Tuesday, Roberta Flack went back to the salon, and I guess she had gotten a touch-up or something, her hair done again. And my roommate said, Sharon, call her today. So I call her at the salon. And she was under the hair dryer at the time. And I, my, of course, you can hear the nerves in my voice really made me sound like a buffoon. I'm just crazy. I couldn't apologize enough. And I just simply asked her, did she get my card? And she hesitated and she said, well, Sharon, as a matter of fact, I did. And I, to my surprise, when I opened it up, a razor blade fell on my lap. And I didn't know what to make of that. And I, it was just silence for probably a good 30 seconds, if not a minute. And that's a long time, <laughs> okay, on the phone. And I just had to say, once again, I was so sorry. I tried to explain to her how that happened and how foolish and absent-minded I was to allow that to happen. And I even tried to reach her prior to that day to explain the situation. Man, I tell you. And she was, you know, once again, you know, she's a professional. You know, what can I say? You know, this woman, you know, has been around the block, you know, for for a minute now. You know, she has gone through some stuff, I'm sure. But, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, this is a legend, you know, and she really didn't know me, even though we spent a couple of hours together. She really didn't know me, you know, other than that time I spent in her apartment. And I just imagine she probably thought, is this some kind of a sick and deranged fan who I let into my home? Look, I don't know. Naturally, I thought the worst, right? And I just couldn't even gain composure for myself. And I just felt like an apology was just a moot point. It just wasn't enough. And at that point, like I said, she was gracious once again. And she just pretty much said, well, you know, we will talk later. And I told her, I understand. But I meant no harm in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Well, we closed the conversation and pretty much left it at that. I think two or three days after that, I tried to call her again at her home. And I never got her on the phone. I got her secretary, right? 
and I left a couple of messages on with her secretary, and uh, she never got back to me. So that was the height of my joy and the crash of my pain that I had experienced with Miss Roberta Flack. Man, it was just a terrible, terrible time. Now, with that being said, I realized and I accepted that that relationship or in that time and moment was just squashed. And I guess, you know, karma, like they say, could be a bitch because I probably brought all that on myself from sitting there in her place, trying to win her over with all this false information or with this deception, right? And um, thinking that I was going to win her over like that. And I don't know if there was just an ill spirit upon me or what, but all in all, my intentions were good. I just took the wrong approach, and that wrong approach cost me. You know, and to fast forward even 10 years after that, I went to one of her concerts when I was living in um, Reno, Nevada. She had a concert there. And I had the privilege of going backstage to meet her again. And fortunately, you know, for me, you know, she did. She she remembered me. And I don't know if that was a good thing or bad. But, yeah, she remembered me. And uh, in that moment, she said, well, you know, and all she had all her people around her then, you know, uh, her agent, her producers, and everybody was around her then, security. And she said, well, Sharon, because I was trying to give her a CD again. And she said, just leave it with, you know, my people here and we'll be in touch, you know. So I couldn't have been in her presence then no more than five or ten minutes at the most, you know, because there were other fans back there talking to her backstage. And uh, so to make a long story short, that was my... Wow. That was my last encounter with the legendary Roberta Flagg. Well, needless to say, that was my climax and my anticlimax with my experience, my overall experience with Roberta Flagg. It is one that I will never forget and also one that I will always regret. But things happen for a reason. At least that's what I try to tell myself to feel better about just moving on with my life, right? And I have to say, I never did have anything remotely close to that kind of a break there anytime thereafter. So now here I am and um, at a whole different place and time in my life. And I could share this story with you, feeling okay about it. I am now living a quiet life as a singer-songwriter still. I still write my poetry. I still occasionally write songs. I don't write them as nearly as, I, uh, as often as I used to. 
But I am comfortable in the space that I'm in and the place that I'm at. So with that being said, I just want to leave it at that. Well, I could say the moral to this story is to tell the truth at any means necessary. Because when something matters to you, I mean really matters, if it matters to you, always tell the truth. Because it catches up with you, it goes against you, karma is a bitch, <laughs> okay? And you don't want to bring that on yourself. So like they say, the best policy is to always just be forthright, even if it costs you whatever that may be. Trust me when I tell you this. <laughs> tell the truth. Because that's what really matters. And also thank you for staying with me throughout this entire episode because I know this is, was one of my extended episodes. But for a good reason, hopefully. So until next time, we're going to close here and continue on, you know, with more interesting stories throughout the month. If anyone would like to hit me up and reach out to leave comments or questions or anything of that nature, you can always email me or Facebook me or Instagram me. I'm on all of these different sites that I can be reached at. My email is ingrames2021pc at gmail.com. All right. And with our ending disclosure that we share at, at the end of every um, episode is that all material shared and all the contents shared throughout this episode is copywritten 2021. All rights reserved. And don't forget to tell those naysayers our hashtag. Don't hate me because I'm talented. Celebrate me because I am. See you next week.